Um, hopefully you get something out of this. It's great to be back in Hornwald. It's good to be here. Um, just so you all know, um, I didn't know this till I moved to Spring Hill. We, we've got a bigger family than what I thought. And most of those people are with us here today. And hopefully you'll get to, you'll get to introduce yourself to them. And we're glad that they're here. And we're glad that all of you who made sacrifices uh, to be here today. Also at our congregation, we have this thing, Scotty, called TakeThemAMeal.com. And when there's, a, when there's a, uh, something that happens in your life, whether it's tragic, some of them are good, it could be the birth of a child, it could be a death in the family, uh, certain things are going on, but we have this thing, you can sign up, it's called TakeThemAMeal.com. And uh, so you can go on and it's the day that you're supposed to take that family a meal so they don't have to deal with that. And, you know, we live in the South. Right? So meals are kind of how we interact with one another at certain times, isn't it? I mean, what is, if you, probably if you looked up the definition of casserole in the Webster Dictionary, it'd probably say someone must have died or someone's getting married, whatever. Because, I mean, that's the, way we, that's the way we interact with people. Something bad going on, I'm making a casserole and I'm taking it to them. There have been people in this congregation that has actually dropped those casseroles as they go to the door and... They just go on and scoop that up and put it back in there because otherwise they have no food. We will not call any names as to those people who have done something like that. So, um, But there's just something about sharing a meal with somebody, isn't it? There's just something too, going to their house, putting your feet under their table. There's just something about that. And there's a great connection there that we all have. Keith Ferrazzi wrote a book and it's titled... Never eat alone. And he says that in order for you to be a successful person, don't know if I completely agree with that, but he says if you want to be successful in business, he said that's where you make all your interactions. Some people say it's on a golf course, but he says it's at a meal. And he said even if you're in a restaurant, you're there by yourself, he said find somebody, even if they're a stranger, and sit down with them. He said it's all about making those connections. It's all about the relationships that we have. And I'd say that probably you would agree with that. That your success, any success that you have, it's not really just you. I'm sure you've probably um, done your part and tried hard, but you know, it, a lot of times it's the people that you know and it's those people that are around you that help you do that. But a meal is a great way. I'm going to tell you, I told you, th- these are actually our neighbors that are visiting with, with us today, and they do something that's really neat. And at, the, at every meal when they, sit, when they sit down, here's the things that they discuss. You've got to say, what was your favorite part of the day? What was the worst part of your day? What is something you need to improve on? And then you've got to give a shout-out to somebody. Now, if you don't know what a shout-out is, you've got to compliment somebody. Isn't that a great way to sit down and share a meal with somebody and to discuss? Because sometimes our meals aren't, there's not a whole lot of interaction, right? No cell phones are allowed, but you know how times have changed. And and things are different than the way they used to be as far as the way that we sit down and take of a meal. But today we're going to look at four meals that Jesus shared with people. And hopefully it's some things, maybe you can gain some things from these four stories, and hopefully it's some things maybe that you can improve on in your walk with the Lord today. The first one is going to be, they're all going to be in Luke. So if you want to turn, we're going to camp out in Luke today. Every one of these stories will be in Luke, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 7. It's where we will be. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. Very common story to most of you. 
But as you know, this happens in the house of Simon. There's a guy by the name of Simon. Simon was an upright citizen. Simon was well thought of in the community. And Jesus is going to his house to eat. Simon was a Pharisee. We all know who the Pharisees are. They're the spiritual leaders of the day. They're the people that have their act together, right? They're the people that follow all those 613 laws that they had in the Old Testament. And they're the people that just... That, that, to be honest, the Pharisees look down on everybody else too. If you, didn't have, if you weren't a Pharisee, they even looked down at the scribes. But if you weren't a Pharisee, guess what? They didn't have much to do with you. And they wouldn't associate with you. So the Pharisees, we pick it up in chapter 36, he invites Jesus over to his house to eat. So Jesus goes. Now I want you to remember in those days too, it's a little different than now. If you invite somebody, nobody's going to be staring, looking in the windows, looking in the doors, watching what's going on. But that's what happened in the biblical days. When you had that, of course, there weren't very many doors and windows then, but people would want to come. They'd want to see what was going on. So, hey, Jesus is coming to Simon's house. Everybody wanted to see what was going on. So they're all kind of peeking through, right? And they're all looking to see what's going on. And it was a little different then too because we come in, we sit down, we talk about putting your feet under somebody's table. And that day, the feet were as far from the table as you'd get them. They actually, what they called recline. They basically laid down, leaned down, and they would eat. And that's what they were doing. And as that was happening, this woman came in. And it says that this woman, in the verses, it says that she's a sinner. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that, category, that, that puts me in that category. But it says she's a sinner. And she comes in. Now, can you imagine how mad Simon must be? Here I've got Jesus Christ sitting at my table, reclining at my table. And this woman comes in. It says she's a sinner. It's believed that she's a prostitute. But she comes in and as she does, she says absolutely nothing. But it says that she has an alabaster jar of ointment. And one thing you need to know is at that time, that alabaster jar of ointment would have been very, very expensive. But she comes, she breaks it open, and she begins to wash Jesus' feet. And it says that she washes it with her tears and she washes it with her hair. Simon is appalled. Simon is so mad. And if you look in verse 39, it says Simon spoke to himself. In other words, he didn't say it out loud. He's, talking, he's thinking this and he said, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now remember, in his eyes, he's not a sinner. Simon does not think he's a sinner. Simon should have figured out in the next verse what's going on because he says he spoke to himself, which means I thought it. I didn't say it out loud. And look what Jesus says. Simon, I've got something to say to you. And Simon says, go ahead, say it. He said, let's hear it. And he said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will you think love him more? Now, a denarii in that day was a day's pay. So think about it, 500 days, we've got almost two years of pay. It's what this one got forgiveness for, and the other 50, two months of pay. And then he goes on, and Simon says, You know, I suppose the one who he forgave more 
And Jesus said, you've rightly judged. In other words, He said, you got it right. And then He turned to the woman and said to Simon, He was speaking to him, He said, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Simon just couldn't figure it out. Doesn't matter how much sin, what sin it is in your life, if you have sin, it is sin. And he couldn't figure. See, human nature endows us with what? The ability to do what? Well, I can size up, I can tell you what all your issues are, and I can tell you what you need to do and how you need to get your life together, but sometimes it's difficult for me to get my life together. It's difficult for me to see my faults, and it's difficult for me to do the right thing. In this story, what you had is a saint that acted like a sinner, and a sinner that acted like a saint. I'd rather be the sinner that acts like a saint than a saint that acts like a sinner. That's the way I'd rather be. And the question really what I want to ta- what I hopefully you take away from this is do you really appreciate what God has done for you? That, that's sometimes a tough question. A lot of times we say yes, I do. But do we really? Do we really appreciate it? Over in Luke chapter 18, I want you to uh, flip over there with me before we go to the next verse. Luke chapter 18, and it starts in verse 18. There's two stories here that Jesus talks about. The first is the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler, as you know, he comes to him and he says, Hey, he said, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? And he tells the rich young ruler, he basically says, go and sell everything you've got. But the rich young ruler had said what? He said, hey, I've got my act together. He starts listing all the things he has done. I've done this, this, and this. And Jesus says, here's what you need to do. He said, I've done them all. And Jesus says, no, you lack one thing. How many of you does that scare? You know, if you're in school and you make a 99, you missed one question, right? But that's pretty, I would have taken that every time, wouldn't you? I would have taken a 99 on every test. And he says, you know what, you've got a 99, but you know what, you need a 100. And he says, no, there's one thing you lack. He said, that's go and sell everything that you have. And it says that the rich young ruler went away and he was sorrowful, he was sad. Why? Because he owned a lot. And he really didn't want to give that up. And then the very next story, it continues and he's talking to Peter. And Peter says, hey, wait a minute now. And the words, and there again, paraphrasing, and what Peter said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. He says, we have left everything. We have left it all to follow you. We have done everything that you've asked us to do. And in verse 27, Jesus says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more. I want you to to catch this part because we always say, Well, you know what? If I live right here, I'm going to have eternal life with God. I'm going to have it made in heaven. That's not what this says. 
Listen to what he says. Who shall not receive many times more, not only in this present time, but also in the age to come, which is eternal life. Society likes to call this what? Karma. I don't know that I believe in karma, but I believe these words right here. And I use that word every once in a while. Kind of what comes around, goes around. It's the universal law of compensation. You reap what you sow. And basically that's what he's telling you. He says, but look. He said, not only is it going to benefit you in the end, he said, it's going to benefit you here as well. So, that makes you wonder, because we've always heard, can a wealthy person go to heaven? It tells us not to lay up for yourselves things here on this earth, but in heaven. But so let's look at the next meal that Jesus shared with somebody and just flip basically one page over into Luke chapter 19. And this is when he's going to see Zacchaeus. Well, he's not going to see Zacchaeus. He's passing through Jericho. And here's what you need to know. Jesus is on his way. He's on his way to the cross. That's where he's going. He's going to be crucified and he's on his way to the cross. They stop in Jericho and as he's coming through, he sees this little short guy. He had to climb a tree to see Jesus. He wanted to see him and he had to climb a tree because he's so short. So, he's got a few things going against him as far as the crowd that he's in. He's short. He's Jewish. He's a tax collector. It probably may even have been a little dangerous for him to even be in a crowd. That may not have been, you know, we have body armor today for police officers. And, of course, they didn't have a firearm. But it's kind of, he probably needed to be wearing body armor in those days. It's probably what he needed to do. But he's heading to the cross Zacchaeus had it all as far as money goes. Zacchaeus had it made in most people's eyes. I wonder how happy he was. Do you think Zacchaeus was truly, truly happy? But I can tell you one thing he did. He overcame some obstacles to see Jesus. What have you overcome? What are you sacrificing? What are you giving up to see Jesus And so it says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. This is in verse 5. He said, For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Uh, And then the people started to complain, even his disciples. Why in the world would he go share a meal with Zacchaeus? I can only figure that those people who saw that happening going, Finally! somebody's going to reprimand, somebody's going to get on to Zacchaeus. Finally, justice is coming to Zacchaeus today. Did justice come to Zacchaeus? No. Salvation came to Zacchaeus. Because Jesus was there. Each and every one of us in this room have a story to tell. You just sometimes want people to listen to your story, don't you? It's just fun sometimes to share your story. And that's what Zacchaeus wanted to do. And Jesus went and listened to Zacchaeus' story. But in that story, I want you to notice three things. A rich man can go to heaven. We deserve punishment, but Jesus gives salvation. And when Jesus came into Zacchaeus' life, his life changed forever. It changed for the better. I think of this story often. It's, I don't know how many, some of you in the room know that I love to float the Buffalo River and there's a lot of sycamore trees that are on the banks of the Buffalo River. And every time I see one, I think of this story. 
and just think of Zacchaeus climbing that story. But here's the reminder for me. And here's the question for you. We said that Zacchaeus, that he climbed this tree to see Jesus. What are you doing? Are you a tree climber? Are you making the effort? Or are you just hoping that He comes to you? He's not just going to come to you. You've got to want Him to come to you. Jesus may be in your home as He was in Zacchaeus' situation, but you know what? Jesus wants to be more than in your home. He wants to be in your heart. But then let's look over in Luke chapter 10. Let's look at another story. This is another one of my favorite stories, and this one really hits home with me in in some ways. You know, clean houses are probably the worst thing that we can have as far as having somebody over to share a meal, right? Because a house has to be spotless, right? Before that's that's you know, there's two things we worry about, right? How clean's a house? What are we going to have, right? Though what's on the menu? Those are the two questions that we have to ask. Now, again, in this, Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified, and this isn't long before that happens. So he comes to the house of Mary and Martha. And that's who he shows up. And I want to read the text to you. And it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, go and tell her to help me. Do you see yourself in that situation? Do you see yourself having somebody over and you don't really care? That that didn't come out right. It really doesn't matter who's over. We're more worried about what? Did I burn the bread? Is the house clean? You, You with me on that? Let me ask you this question. How many of you can go back and say, you know, I went to I I went to Scotty Duncan's house. I'm probably going to remember things that happened, things we talked about, and the fact that he had me over versus what we had. Now, maybe not if it's... Probably not your cooking, Scotty, but anyway. So I I may remember that situation, but you, you understand, we worry more about the presentation. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a clean house, and I won't mind clean when somebody comes over. But we get distracted We lose focus. And what Jesus is trying to get across to her, what He's trying to get across to Martha is, you're missing the point. Yeah, you're worried about serving me this wonderful meal. That's not really... You know, this may even be one of Jesus' last meals. So I ask you that question. You know, you see that on the news when somebody is convicted of a crime and they've got the last meal. I've often thought, I asked Andrea this Friday night, we went out to eat and she didn't give me the answer I was looking for. Uh, But I said, what would be your last meal? And she said, well, I probably wouldn't feel like eating. That's not the answer I was looking for. I really, I wanted something specific. Um, But think about it, and it probably really doesn't matter, does it? But think about that. This is probably his last meal. And he's saying, you're worried about the things that don't matter. Here's Jesus sitting in her home, and she's worried about what's on the menu. So, three questions. What would be your last meal? The second question, do you get too caught up in the meal when you invite somebody over, or do you get too caught up in the house being clean 
But I want you to notice something in all of these stories. We're going through four. There's about ten of these, but we're only going through four today. Thanks, Scotty. I got 30 extra minutes, by the way. So, since you didn't take that long. But think about it. Is the menu ever mentioned? Does it ever say, he went to the house of Simon and they had barbecue, right? He went to the house of Zykiss and they had tenderloin, right? It, it, It doesn't say that anywhere, does it? The menu is never mentioned anywhere in here. And do you remember more about the food or do you remember more about whose house where you were and what happened while you were there and the memories that you made while you were there? So the takeaway from this one is, what are you worried about? What distracts you in life? What makes you lose your focus? It could be what or it could be a who. It may be some of the people that you hang around causes you to lose some focus. We lose focus sometimes of the people that are right in front of us. You know, we all like to think that we focus on other people and we care about other people. But sometimes we don't. The most important person in the world is the person that's in front of you at that time. They are your guest. But give people what they need, not what you think that they need. In this situation, you know, Jesus may have just needed some peace and quiet. He's nearing the end of His life. And then the last meal that we want to talk about refers to Matthew, the person Matthew. And it's in Luke chapter 5. And this time, he's still called Levi in the text. And it said, After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. And then Levi gave him a great feast. Notice it doesn't say what he served. It just gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And there were scribes and Pharisees, and they complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Matthew was trying to do the right thing. He was telling all of those people who maybe didn't in his life, that maybe didn't have their life together, let me show you this guy that I know, that I met, that I follow, and his name is Jesus. There are some people in this world that only you can lead to Christ. And God's counting on you to do it. But sometimes we forget that. Remember, the Pharisees were the upper echelon. Remember, they avoided sinners at all costs. They didn't want to be around them at all. They just didn't want to do it. Romans 12.3 says what? You ought not think what? More highly of yourself than you should. That didn't exist in this time for the Pharisees, but it does exist for you and me today. We shouldn't think more highly than we should. I have a co-worker, her name is Judy, and she once told me, I don't remember how we got on this topic, but she once told me that in her morning prayers, one thing she does is she says, you know, whoever you put in my path today, she said, help me to see them the same way that Jesus Christ sees them. Would that change your view of some people? If you really, you know... My dad's here. My dad probably views me a little bit differently than some of you do. 
Why? We're blood. He loves me, right? He probably sees me a little bit different than some of you. And it's because of the love that exists. But Jesus looked beyond the culture. The Bible says the sick need a physician and and the sheep need a shepherd. And that's what we need to be doing is taking people to Him. The relationships that we have make a huge difference. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, I want to read this to you. Um, verse 520, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise up and walk, but that you may not know that the Son of Man has power to forgive all sins. That's what we need to be sure and tell everybody. And he said that just before this lesson. But here's something else that, uh, that I want you to think about. And it's found, I told you wrong, it's actually in Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. Here's what I want you to know. That is the story, it's a Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people in that day, they had something that they had to remember. They had something that they needed to uh, always do. Now, in, in that day, if a Roman soldier came by your house, wherever you lived, if a Roman soldier came to your house, you had to carry their backpack for one mile. That's the law. So what those Jewish people would do, they'd step off their porch, they'd walk this way, down the road, they'd walk one mile, they'd drive a stake. They'd come back to their porch, they'd walk this other way, they'd walk one mile, and then they would drive a stake right here. Why did they do that? Why did they do it? Because they know that we get right here, we've carried out our obligation. I've done what I'm supposed to do. In the Bible, in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, what does he say? Go the extra mile. You're only supposed to carry the backpack a mile, but what would that say to the Roman soldier if you carried it two instead of one? And here's what happens. They would get to that stake, usually, and then they take one step past it to be sure, in case they stepped it off wrong, that they went the one mile. It's just like with the 40 lashes that you hear about. They always stopped at 39. Why? In case they miscounted, they had not broken the law. So usually when it says they received 40 lashes, they really only received 39 because they didn't want to break the law. Here's something I don't want on my tombstone and I don't know about you. Here lies Chester Darden. He did the bare minimum, but he got through life. Is that what you want on your tombstone? He did the bare minimum. He did what was required of him. Jacob, our neighbor, he plays for Summit football. Last year, Summit went to the state championship and lost. This year, they went to the state championship and won. I got a feeling, I never have asked him this question, but I got a feeling after, in two years ago when they lost, I got a feeling when they went to practice, maybe they did a few extra reps. Maybe they didn't cut corners. Maybe they went just a little bit deeper because why? They were that close the year before. And I wonder if they ever had this thought after the game, if I would have just done a little bit more, then maybe it wouldn't have been that way. Maybe we would have won it that year too. And now the challenge is, because you have won it, that doesn't mean you can slack off again. That means you've got to keep going again. And you've got to be willing to do even more than what you did before. But if you would, turn over to Mark for just a minute. 
And I want to read, I want to show you these two verses. What he's talking about. Matthew chapter 5. 23 and 24. It says, uh, he talks about being angry in one of them, in Matthew 5 and 23 and 24, and then Matthew 5 the 38, that's where he's talking about going the extra mile. So I just want you to look at those two, because here's what we, and I wanted you to reference them just so you'd have them, but here's what we don't know. See, because we, for those of you who are married, here's what we do. You say, you know what? Marriage is a 50-50 relationship. Mm. If I give 50% to Andrew and that's all I give, guess what? I'm probably not going to have a very good marriage. Because why? I'm trying to do the bare minimum. Well, 50% is only my part. And that's all that I'm going to do. There is somebody in your life that needs you. Don't do the bare minimum. So here's a question. And hopefully this is what you can take from it. Who that is around you, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether it's a neighbor, whoever it may be, and I don't mean that that they need this, but when you hear the... Who needs your time? Who needs your attention? Who do you need to focus on? I want to close with this story. I'll, I'll try to get through it. Um, back during football season... Uh, we weren't able to make very many Cades football games. COVID, different things, things going on. So I would try to either text or call Deanna the next day at some time just to see how things were, how did the game go. And this one particular uh, day I called, I said, how'd the game go? How'd Cade do? She said, well, they won. And she started telling me what he did, what, what happened in the game. And you know that I really want him to do well. But it's what she said after that that made me cry then and about makes me cry right now. Because here's what she told me. She said, well, let me tell you this. She said, there was this young man that Kate has become friends with. And this guy, this friend of his, is not really the guy that fits in with everybody else. He's got some issues that just... He just... You know, other kids may make fun of him or there are things that go on. And nobody really is his friend. And he has a tough time in life. But Cade's his friend. Cade befriended him. Cade helped him. Cade was there by his side. And after the game, the dad came up and told Barry, he said, you know, my son really likes Cade. And he, has a ho- he is a whole lot more comfortable and he does a whole lot better if he can play the position by Cade. Because he's comfortable around him. And because Cade takes the time to be sure that that boy's got somebody to talk to and somebody to support him. That made me a whole lot. I I couldn't tell you if he scored a touchdown. I couldn't tell you how many tackles he Couldn't even tell you if he played, to be honest. That meant more to me than anything he did in any football game. It's probably not going to matter in 20 years if Cade scored a touchdown was an all-state football player, had the most tackles in the state, led the state in interceptions. You, you give the state, I don't know, you give it. It's probably not going to, may not matter in 20 years. It's a great accolade, but it's probably not going to matter. But you know what he's going to be doing hopefully in 20 more years? He's going to be giving the people that need his time and his attention and his focus. 
That's what life's about. And I hope I can live up to that. I hope I can do it. And I hope you can too. And let me tell you who does it. And that's God. And we can do it through Him. It's all about our relationships. If you're struggling with a relationship, whether it's this way or whether it's this way, if you're struggling with a relationship and you need prayers of this congregation, I'm going to ask Darrell Led, one of the elders, I'm going to ask him to come down. He'll receive you. We'll pray, whatever it is. But if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, come now as together we stand and as we sing. Amen.